I'm, I'm alongside my co-host today, the big fella, the big homie, the big dog, Devontae. What's up, man? How you doing, man? It's been a while. It's good to be here. It's definitely been a while. Should we, do, should, we, should we do like a virtual handshake like we do on All the Smoke? Virtual handshake? <laughs> okay. There we go. <laughs> there we go. We'll do that virtual handshake. Hey, Debo, man, we got a special guest in the building today, a real special one. You know, someone, um, he's, he's been through it all. He's coached a lot, of, a lot of great basketball players, which we'll get into later on. He is the operator and coach of Rock Top Academy, the prep school in Pennsylvania. He's coached a lot of NCAA guys as well, NBA players as well. Man, we're so happy to have Sam Ryan in the building. How are you doing today, sir? Good, brother. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, we appreciate you giving us some time today. We like to start the show usually with a game. So, Devontae, do you have a game for us today? I have a game for you today. We like to start off this show with a game called Overrated, Underrated. Get the blood flowing a little bit before we dive into anything. So what I'm going to do in your case is I'm going to give you some basketball players. You're simply going to tell me, in your opinion, if you think they're overrated or if they're underrated. You ready to go? Yeah. All right. I'll start off with Stefan Marbury. I'll take that one. Uh, I got a chance to see Stefan play from junior high all the way up to the pros. Mm. Definitely uh, underrated. Okay. Steve Francis. Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I got a chance to see him in high school as well, playing for Boo Williams in the Future Stars tournament. Okay. Uh, definitely turned out to be a lot better player than I thought he was going to be. But uh, I don't think I, you know, he had a couple of good years in the NBA, but I think he was slightly overrated, even though he was a great athlete and a great scorer for a couple of years. Okay. Listen, let's give it to some guys that are in the NBA right now that this guy gets huge speculation about every year. Russell Westbrook. Underrated. Underrated. Plays so hard, so consistent. Uh, he started the season off slow. And I might be a little bit prejudiced towards this one because I'm, I'm friends with his brother. And, uh, <laughs> hey, that's how it goes. That's life. Yeah, that's, life. that's my guy. So you know, and I, I know his humble beginnings. You know, it's funny because they were talking about Pango's camp, yeah. and uh, you know he went to Pango's camp, but he didn't make the All Star team. He didn't get all the accolades that some of these other guys got, and he just emerged into a star. So I definitely have to say underrated. Demar Derozan. Hmm. Ooh, I'm gonna let y'all take that one. <laughs> Please the fit. Please the fit. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I I guess he meets all expectations. I mean, I'm hearing that he might be trying to get to the Lakers somehow. Uh, I, I I don't I don't I think he's on the decline uh, since he left Toronto. He played for Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. Played for Toronto. Yeah. Uh, Definitely not the same player that he once was. I would say overrated. Okay. The last one, Robert Horry. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Robert Horry is definitely overrated. I think he played on the back of Kobe. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, he always got something to say. Are you allowed to curse on this podcast? Yes, you can. Okay. Uh, he's just full of shit. You know, he's one of these type of guys that always got something to say about something. He's a hater of AAU, a hater of this, a hater of that. But, you know, you got to give him credit. He made a lot of big shots in his career. But, you know, as a spot-up shooter, I think with today's game, he would just be an average player. 
Okay. Like that. And we'll leave it at that. Stephen, on you. I mean, I, I, I give him Rob Covington at best. Okay. Mm, okay. 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 Fair enough. But you know, at the end of the day, he's he's still a four-time champion. Robert Robert Covington is not, unfortunately. So. Well, you put but, anybody in that situation when you just fighting up shooting. Anybody can get a ring these days. You're right. And guys are getting right. rings they didn't even play. You know. <laughs> You're not lying about that. And Sam, I want to ask you, though, you know, they say that if you come out of the pandemic the same as you went in, you lost. Have you won during the pandemic, or do you think that, you, that you're still, still stagnant, same the same? Uh, wow. You talking about basketball-wise? Basketball-wise, life-wise, family-wise, whatever. I mean, we were, we, we were fortunate enough to be fully operational during the pandemic. So, I mean, we played probably 70 games over the course of the year. We practiced every day, sometimes twice a day. Uh, my kids really made a, a big jump and a big improvement based on uh, there being a p- pandemic. Uh, it was a little tough dealing some games wearing masks and everything else, but my kids got better. But me personally, uh, I caught COVID uh, early coming out of, uh, we went to Arizona and I caught COVID from uh the kids and what people didn't understand, I wouldn't have caught it if I didn't have to take care of them. So when you have a prep mm-hmm. school, somebody has to take care of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, not saying I, I did it by choice, but I knew I had to feed them. I knew I had to bring them food, order, etc. They were living with me, so you know, of course, it was a tough thing to deal with. And I was only down for maybe about six to seven days, but I didn't feel normal for about uh, a month or two. But thank mm-hmm. God it happened during, it happened like right before Thanksgiving. So I was able to use this Thanksgiving break and the Christmas break in order to uh, kind of get myself back to normal. But, you know, a lot of supplements, a lot of exercise, mm-hmm. a lot of home remedies and, and just, you know, dealing with everyday life, you know, looking at the NBA, college and everything else. Nothing, nothing was normal until probably after uh probably after uh i'm sorry somebody keep calling it's crazy uh after after january everything started to become a little bit more normal Mm -hmm. so that's completely fair well we're 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 glad that you were able to recover and you're still alive and you're doing well and getting better so that's definitely a big thing that you know people people we know a lot of people that got that got covid I, I had COVID myself, so I'm glad you're able to, to recover and, and be better and, you know, all, the, all of that good stuff. I want to ask you, though, when this pandemic hit, did you think it was going to take as long as it did? I definitely didn't think it would take as long, but I, I didn't see an end, like an end of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was kind of yeah. like it started off a little slow, then it's like, oh, it's going to get better, then, you know, everything got pushed back, vaccines and and how we're handling, you know, got changed up. And, you know, you, you could say people dropped the ball, but, you know, I think the time that we needed to kind of reflect the, what happened in life and how you deal with life and, you know, just your, your everyday normal routine of life changed, you know, from mm-hmm. me going to church every Sunday to just not being any church, from me, you know, being able to go places and do what I want to do when I want to do it to not, being allowed to do it and being forced to wear a mask. And, you know, even now, like I was noticing yesterday, you know, when I was in the store, that more than 60% of the people were wearing masks. 
you know, and I'm not one to say you should or should not wear it. And obviously we know you can still catch COVID even if you got vaccinated or whatever the case may be. But, you know, your, your life, I mean, this was a lifetime change. This was a mm -hmm. change of life, you know, not just for me, but for everybody. Mm -hmm. No, for sure, for sure. And, and, and the day that they say that we don't have to wear masks anymore and we're safe and ready to go, I'm taking that mask off 150%. I'm done wearing this mask for me. But, um, you know, how did this pandemic affect your coaching ability or training ability? You know, you're obviously one of the godfathers of, of, of AU basketball, I think, at least based on your stories that, that we're going to get into later on. But how did it affect your coaching, your training? Were you rusty coming back? Did you, did you have a complete plan? What was that first practice like coming back to the, from, you know, lockdown? Well, I'm one of those kind of coaches that coach you along as the game goes along. But, you know, because you're wearing a mask and you can't take it off and you don't re really want to peel it back, you know, I had to do more preparation you know, as far as getting the kids ready before the games to what I wanted them to do and what I needed them to do. And it was a lot of trial and error. Thank God I was blessed with uh, an assistant coach that was uh, 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 an integral part of me changing my coaching style this year. I had Bernard Blunt. Uh, Bernard Blunt is a 2,000-point scorer, uh, you know, had all kind of NBA tryouts, made the team one year, played overseas for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, he was a good part of what we do and how we do it. So he was forcing me to win, mm -hmm. which I'm normally a guy that let me get everybody in first and then we'll go for the win. But he, he taught me, he taught me a lesson to stay competitive, be competitive. And then guys that come in, they know they have to be held accountable to be competitive. And I would say it worked, which mm -hmm. I was surprised because I didn't think it would. And I was able to sub more guys in the game instead of subbing five and five and mm. get more guys quality playing time instead of quantity playing time. Because, you know, some guys might play minutes, but they don't mean anything. But when you're playing quality minutes, those five minutes that you might play in crunch time might be better than the 10 minutes you might be playing with a team that, either didn't score or may not score. So, you know, it, it kind of worked for us. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Obviously, obviously, we know you're a popular person. You're a very popular person. You know, people, people are calling your line every, every couple minutes on this show. But that's okay. That's all right. But speaking of being popular, as I mentioned before, you are the godfather of AU basketball, in my opinion. You have had the privilege and, and honor to coach a lot of basketball players over the last 25 years, if not 25-plus I want to ask you, though, who is some guys that you've been able to have the luxury of coaching? And can you name your top five? Ooh, you know, that's always a tough one for me because guys get offended when I don't bring them <laughs> up and I don't mention them. But, uh, you know, it's tough because a lot of guys don't realize I don't always claim everybody that played for me because there's a lot of sensitive programs and teams that would that didn't even exist at the time but they need it now in order to yeah you know to look good but you know one would be obviously Kyle Lowry who's from your area he played with me from uh really ninth grade summer to probably 11th grade the all time year. best Raptor of all time yeah uh, and you know I I didn't see Kyle as a uh People just not stop. I didn't see Kyle 
as a NBA player uh, at first, but he was a hard-nosed, hard-playing player. But the guys that he was playing with that was on that particular team or those particular teams all had great uh, college careers, all played well. Uh, you know, some made it to the NBA, like Sean Singletary made it to the NBA, and a couple of them had the opportunity. Uh, but, you know, it, it was – I would say my top five would be obviously Kobe, number one, Rip Hamilton, number two, uh, Kyle Lowry, number three, uh, uh, Rasul Butler, number four, mm. rest in peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to say Matt Carroll, but I, I, had a, I have a kid. He's still actually still playing. Uh I would say Terrence Roderick, who's playing in Italy right now, who was probably better than Tyree Gevins. And I had Tyree Gevins too. And I had Gerald Henderson. I had the Morris twins. Uh, you know, pretty much. Every pro, yeah, every pro that came through Philly, except for Eddie Griffin and Wayne Ellington and maybe a couple of the later guys, played for me at one time or another. You know, they either grew up in the program. Like, I had Tyreek in sixth grade. Mm. And I'll I'll tell you a story. I had Tyreek in sixth grade until 10th grade. And Nike came to me in ninth grade with Tyreek and said, oh, we want to offer you a team. But they didn't offer it to me. They offered it to Tyreek. And, you know, people don't understand the business, but at that particular time, they weren't offering anything other than a little bit of money and gear, which wasn't enough for me to stop doing what I'm doing to kiss butt in order to bring on a Nike team and so-called chase these so-called good players. Because I always had Division One players. I may not have the best, you know, in the area, but I always had eight, nine, ten Division One guys. And, and uh when, when I talked to Lynn Merritt and some of the other guys over at uh, Nike, they ended up giving the team to Tyreek's brother, which eventually was called Team Final, who, mm-hmm. as you know, they're pretty dominant on the EYBL right now. But the first Team Final team was the last Sam Ryan's AAU team. That's when I decided to get out of AAU. Fair enough, fair enough. I want to I want to I want to touch up on with you. You know, I know you just touched up on Tyreek, but you also mentioned some of some of the guys that you coached. One of them being Kobe Bryant. I'm mm-hmm. curious to know though, how did you meet Kobe and get him to play for your team? Uh, well, me and Joe Joe Bryant, we worked summer camps together at this uh, camp called Sunny Hill, and Joe Bryant went to LaSalle, and I went to LaSalle, mm-hmm. so uh, I got a chance to get to know Joe. And my father at that particular time was a coach at LaSalle. So what they did was they made my father either go full-time because it was a part-time assistant. He either had to go full-time and take the job or he was going to go back to teaching, which he wanted his tenure in order to, you know, be set for life, so to speak. Because, you know, coaching is a, you know, you could be done after a year or two, you know, it's it's just Mm -hmm. too unstable. And he was already a coach for 12 years and he decided to stop coaching and to continue to teach. And Joe took my father's place at the South 
And that's how we all developed the relationship to have Kobe play with us and play with the Samurai's program. So we had him as soon as he came over from Italy to the time he decided to go pro. You know, Kobe Bryant, obviously, in my opinion, the second second greatest basketball player of all time. I, I'm still a Jordan guy. I think Jordan's first and LeBron, LeBron is third. That's my, my one, two, three. Uh, but obviously, this, um, in 2020 was a very sad year when Kobe passed, uh, which in my opinion, it all started, you know, how the pandemic and all that stuff and Kobe's death was just, just the beginning of, of it all. What was your reaction to the news of Kobe's death and where were you? Uh, it was a Sunday. It was just after church. And I, I, I remember I was taking a nap and somebody woke me up and said, you know, Kobe passed. I'm like, he passed, passed the ball or what, what did he pass? <laughs> you know, because I'm not thinking Kobe's dead. I'm thinking Kobe passed. And they said, nah, nah, nah. He died in a helicopter, helicopter crash. Damn. I'm like, wow. Like, I just sat there and amazed. I mean, just stunned for like two hours. I mean, no real emotion, no tears. Just stunned that somebody lost their life in a helicopter when they were at the apex of their career and their family and he just retired. And, you know, I was making a bet that he would come back to coach the Lakers. And, you know, it's just so many different things that played a part in my mind to think the way that I was thinking at that particular time. And then the, the amount of phone calls and the amount of people calling me, I, just, I couldn't even answer the phone. Like I really couldn't answer the phone. There was nothing you know, I know everybody think they were breaking the news to me, but there was nothing anybody could say once I heard it that was going to make it any better other than, you know, how's the wife, how's the kids? Oh, my God, the daughter was with them. You know, it was just a sad moment. Yeah, sad. for sure. Yeah, for sure. For, no, definitely for sure with that. And then I think that was, that was a, a changing moment for every but everybody in the world, whether you play basketball or, or play hockey or any, any athlete in the world, anybody in the world that knows who Kobe Bryant is, when Kobe died, it was definitely a sad moment, and even for me in particular. But you, you obviously had a connection with him because you were his coach. You, you had been able to have a conversation with him. You've been able to work with him. You've been able to, to coach him and, and, and be by his side and see his development over the years. But what was it like – sorry, what is your best moment with Kobe Bryant, whether he was playing for you, a moment when he was playing for you, whether he was playing the NBA – a moment that you, a conversation you guys had, what was your best Kobe Bryant moment? Uh, I remember the conversation where he told me he's going pro. Uh, that was on a plane going out to Vegas, sat next to each other, talked for five hours straight. And, you know, that was, you know, with AAU, you get to know kids, but you don't really spend a lot of time with them. Like, like as a so. What it is, is you don't really get to know them until you really sit down and talk to them the way you're supposed to talk to them. And, you know, what happens when you when you talk to a guy like Colby and you realize how serious he is about life and things, like he already had in his mind who he was and what he was. There was no doubt that he believed that he was a superstar. There was no doubt that he believed he was going to be as good, if not better, than Michael Jordan. He, he really believed he was Michael Jordan. A lot of people don't believe me when I tell them that, but he really believed he would, you know, he, he wanted security in high school. You know, he didn't talk to girls. Where he, even when he did, like, that was the last thing on his mind. When we went out Vegas, there were girls in the lobby of the hotels 
He wanted nothing to do with them. Zero. You know, his focus was just get the job done. And I used to watch him and run after him and chase after him a little bit uh, when he was in his junior year, going into his senior year, playing against pros. And, uh, you know, I got the chance to watch him against Iverson, Stackhouse, and Eddie, Eddie Jones, and Aaron McKee, and all these other pros that came to Philly to work out either with or against him. And it was just crazy how competitive he was at that time to be what he wanted to be. And I, I remember doing an interview with Sporting News uh, a couple years later when, when Rip was going for his uh, his ring at UConn. And uh, the conversation was, was Kobe the greatest player you ever coached? And I told him, I said, listen, Kobe was developing when I was coaching him. He was developing into a good player. Rip Hamilton was a better player at that time in high school because Rip could do everything Kobe could do, but he was a better ball hand. Mm -hmm. And I went on to tell a story, and you can see this in a couple different books, that talked about how Kobe spent a whole game working on his ball hand. And what he did, he was working on a crossover. He kicked the ball out of bounds six times in a row. Like, just kicked it out of bounds. Now, we drove six, seven hours to get to this particular tournament. And, and I never forgot this. I screamed on him, like, Cole, like, come on, man, step your game up. Like, you know, stop doing this. Like, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to accomplish here? And he got mad at me. He said, I'm working on my crossover. You know, you know not, not, he didn't have an attitude, but he, he was quick to respond to you. And uh, me and him was like oil and water. So my job was to make sure that the team wins so we can get as far as we can and as many players can get exposure in the process. His job was, you wouldn't have been invited to this tournament if it wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm doing whatever the fuck I want to do. And I'm like, bro, you have to have more consideration for your teammates. Like, we got to win here in order for everybody to get something out of this tournament. We mm. can't drive six, seven hours to see you work on a crossover that you can't do. <laughs> and he didn't like that. So me and him was arguing during a timeout. And Joe came over, started talking Italian, and kind of smoothed him over. And, <clears throat> and we, weren't, we weren't best of friends, but there was a respect there. And I was mm. young. Like I, I'm not as calm as I am now. Like now I'm a calm, cool coach. Back then, I was, you know, <laughs> get over there, cut off the thing, you know, get get there, you know. Yeah. And not everybody is receptive to that kind of coaching all the time. Yeah. Especially when you consider the best player in the country. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I, I know he picked up some of my my coaching. You know, he picked up some of the stuff that I taught him. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he was always he was always a good player. Phenomenal footwork, impeccable, good shooter. Uh, just got stronger, more confident, better, became a better athlete. But he was definitely one of the hardest working players I've ever seen. So you start on switching subjects here. You started a prep program in Pennsylvania called Rock Talk Academy. You know, how did yeah. you get that started? How did that come about? 
Well, I had another prep school called Rise Academy before Rock Top. And Rise Academy, uh, we used to go and play everywhere. I mean, we used to play Red Russell. We used to play all. We used to play everywhere. Anywhere there was players and teams and individuals to play, we was playing. But at Rise Academy, uh, I'm going to tell you all some information that you all can't share with nobody. But Keep it a secret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had a, a Kyle Kuzma that uh, was with me my last couple of years. I mean, we were consistently good. And uh, Kyle, Kyle Kuzma and I had a coach at that particular time. They were doing some tricky stuff. And there was a lot of people recruiting them. And there were some other people involved. And, you know, those other people all got in trouble. And I'm pretty sure you know that story with the whole scheme and Wayne Dawkins and, you know, other individuals. Okay agents and you know and I had to get out of it because I wasn't involved and I didn't want to be involved mm -hmm. so as a business decision we decided to go a different direction uh, we moved on past him and got rid of the coach and just started rock top and our first year we had a, a rapper named pop smoke as a player wow one of our first players at rock top Really? Wow. Yes, yeah, rest in peace. Yes, sir. Pop Smoke. How was he as a basketball player? Uh, he came to me as a sophomore, and he was physically fit. He was strong. Uh, he could shoot, but uh, he had to work on his athleticism. And uh, he, he was good for a sophomore. I took him to Pango's camp, and, you know, I, I let him play against college guys. You know, he... For a prep school player, he was solid. I'm not saying he was going to be a Division One player, but uh, it might have been close if he would have stuck to it. I like but, that. Uh, that's a that's a that's a hidden gem. First, I'll talk your exposure. My, 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 my question, my question, Sam, is: Did you ever think that Pop was, was going to become a rapper? Like you, you obviously knew him. So, did you think he was going to become as big as he is now with the rapping game and and anything like that? Uh, I thought he was going to be a pimp. Male whore, <laughs> you know, he, he was different. You know, I used to, you know, he was religious. So, you know, we, we vibed on a lot of different levels. So, you know, I think I might've taken him to church once, but he, he was all about the girls, the ladies trying to get what he can get and do what he does. And, but, you know, he wanted to be famous. Like he wanted to be popular. Like I knew he was going to be something because his, his makeup was determination he was driven, and he wanted to be something. So I, I thought it was going to be a basketball player, and uh, that's how he left. I, I didn't tell a lot of like a lot of people interviewed me on uh, on him uh, over the past two years after he passed, or right before he passed. But uh, you know, he kind of snuck away in the middle of the night on me. So I'd be like, you know, he said, "Oh, you're working me too hard, coach." You know, da 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 da. -da. I'm like, listen, bro, I need you to be good. You know, and we would have talks, and he lived in my house, and you know, we'd talk all the time. And, and uh, finally, I told him, I said, "Listen, bro, you got to work, man." He said, "Listen, I'm gonna go to my aunt's, and I'll be right back." I said, "That's cool. I just gotta ask your mom to make sure it's cool." And he went to his aunt's and never came back. Mm mm. Mm mm. So, wow. Yeah, but he would call me. He would call me when he, when he became, first became a rapper. He told me, called me. I said, you're lying. You know, you, 
send me some music. I'm like, yeah, it's all right. You know, I'm not thinking like, it's excellent. I'm thinking, it's all right. Yeah, you know, it's all right. And then next thing you know, he blew up after that one song, and that was it. I tried to meet up with him maybe two months before he passed because uh, we were down at the Super Bowl down in Miami. I tried to hook up with him that day and didn't. Then, you know, a couple of weeks later, he passed. It was sad. Sad moment, man. That's crazy. Let's, let, yeah. let, thank you for that. But let's 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 dive into something else. Right, what is a typical what is a typical basketball ac academic schedule for you guys at your school? All right. So with Rock Top, I'm not saying we put basketball in front of academics, but we do something different where we put basketball as a priority and then give you enough time to take care of your academics. Okay. Uh, it definitely helped us because of the pandemic, the kids going virtual, that the virtual reality of education is now here and is doable if you go to the right uh, educational uh, outlet. With Rock Top, we focus more on getting up in the morning, working out from 10 to 2, coming back, eating, education from, let's say, 3 to 6, 3 to 7. Then we go back in the gym at night, work out again, lift, run, play games, whatever they want to do. And that's pretty much our daily schedule, Monday through Thursday. Fridays, we're a little bit more lenient because obviously there's no school Saturday. And because we play so many games, we actually go away uh, most Fridays and then come back either Sundays or Mondays. So the, the schedule kind of fits into our makeup of what we like to do at Rock Top. I think we kind of separate Rock Top from any other programs that we play so many games. I would say we probably played this past year 75 games. Uh, and then we practice maybe four to five hours a day. And I think that kind of makes up for a kid that only played 25 games in high school, 32-minute games where we played 40. They might have played, uh, might have practiced an hour and a half, two hours a day where we focus at least two hours to three hours on individual uh, basketball skills and drills. And then we focus on the team stuff when we scrimmage and obviously teaching plays. And we keep it simple. We don't make anything too complicated. We're not trying to do trick plays. We, we try to get our players to think the game and do what they need to do. Fair enough. Now, me and Steven are both entering new coaching jobs or how you should recruit. Uh, find kids that want to want to learn and want to do what you need them to do. I mean, it's hard to recruit a kid that you know it's not coachable or doesn't listen or you know it's not going to work hard enough for you to get where you got to go. Uh, one thing about me, I'm, I'm very transparent with parents and kids, and I'm very realistic about who I am and what I am. Because yes, you are. what I don't like to do is promise things you can't deliver. And people will hold you accountable to everything you say, even if you said it in error when you're no. not happy with them. So just, you know, be accountable to what you say. Be a man of your word. Uh, hold your kids accountable. Hold your parents accountable. Amen to that. I like that a lot. Um, last, 
little section about Rock Talk. Give us your best basketball moment at Rock Talk. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Kyle Kuzma played for us at Rock Top Rise Academy. And, you know, just watching Kyle play for the Lakers, not this past year because he stunk it up, but prior to this year, he's a product of what we teach. So when you know that you teach a kid something and you see it in a game situation, that's always going to be your pride and joy to what you do. Now, we had a kid uh, this past year named Bernie Blunt. I want you to remember this name, Bernie Blunt. Bernie wasn't recruited by anybody when he came out of prep school. He went to an educational prep school. He, he took a six-year, a COVID year, I call it, to come to prep school with the potential of losing a year because, you know, obviously you can lose, lose a year if you take a – a six year and uh, he got through it. He really was maybe a, at best by January, a division two player. I had two players go down and, and I'll never forget this moment. We were playing hard grade down 26 points and his father, remember his father, I told you about earlier, he was coaching. Mm-hmm. I was coaching and Bernie was not having a good game. So his father said to Bernie, when we get in the car, I'm going to whoop your ass. I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to whoop your ass when we get in the car because this is an embarrassing moment for me that you're not playing well. So I put my arm around Bernie and said, listen, Bernie, I have no other guards to put in. Get yourself together. I need you to keep your dribble alive at all costs. Do not pass the ball unless you know you have a pass. And he took that moment and became a basketball player in 20 minutes. He finished the game with 29 points. We actually went up one with 20-something seconds to go. Should have won, but didn't. Mm -hmm. And the guards were going to Baylor, Georgetown, uh, Georgia Tech. And I think that kind of re-kicked, restarted his, his love and his commitment to the game where I think he became a Division One player literally in 20 minutes. And I can't ever think of any story that I've seen like that. And he, he ended up going to Quinnipiac, but he was being looked at and recruited by a lot of big-time schools and uh, everything else. So, you know, that was a great wow. moment for us, him, the program, his family, and everything else. Well, it's safe to say that he didn't get his ass kicked after the game. There you go. <laughs> That's great to hear. Now, you yep. attended LaSalle. How yep. did that come about? Uh, my father was a coach at LaSalle all throughout the 80s. Uh, I had a chance to go to a couple different schools. Uh, I had a chance to go to Notre Dame. I had a chance to go to Seton Hall. I had a chance to go to Wake Forest, and St. Joe's, and a couple other schools. And the reason I went to LaSalle is I believed I was going to play right away. So because I was going to play right away, it was one of the reasons why I thought that was the best opportunity for me to go in and be happy. And plus, I was close to home. And I was a home guy. You know, I liked being around my area, my family, my girlfriend, and, you know, a lot of other little intangibles that you think are important at that particular time. Now, do I regret going to LaSalle? I did. I do. And the only reason I, I say that, because I bumped into a guy named Doug Overton. He was a 10-year pro. 
I bumped into a guy named Randy Woods, who was a five-year pro. Uh, Tim Legler, who's the announcer. Obviously, he was a six or seven, eight, maybe eight-year pro. Lionel Simmons, who's a 10-year pro. So when you start looking at all the NBA prospects that you were playing with at that particular time, you got to make a smart choice on where you go to school and what you do. And at that particular time, if I was going to sit on a bench, I could have sat on Notre Dame's bench. I could have sat on Seton Hall's bench. I could have sat on Providence's bench. You know, a lot of benches I could have sat on. And then I think if I would have had to make a smarter choice, I probably would have went to St. Joe's University. Sorry, St. where? St. Joe's. Okay. Also, Only because it was still local and it needed Eight ten is not a not never a bad room. Never a bad never room. Been. Now okay. So how how did basketball change from when you played until now? Just ask uh, real quick. I mean the, the, the dribble has definitely been the, the deciding factor of any basketball. Kids have more confidence to shoot the three. They have more confidence to do I'm not saying crazy stuff, but stuff that wouldn't be allowed during my time and my era. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, the game has changed a lot. You got to forgive me. I got to charge my phone. So, you know, if I had to say the biggest thing, the biggest thing is obviously, uh, you know, the three-pointer, the fact that guys are allowed to dribble the way they dribble as far as making moves and, doing things around the basket. I, I remember this one story. I was in high school, and I thought I was pretty fancy. You know, people always called me, you know, fancy. So I went behind my back on a layup, and they called travel. And to the very day, I had people that remind me, said, man, you know, you were one of the first guys to ever do it. And I'm like, damn, like, everybody does it now. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's nothing special now but you know I, I never it never really dawned on me how uh the game changed from then to now you know yeah so really you're saying you should just you should have played in this era i definitely would have been a lot better player like i think if i had to pick somebody that i would have played like it would be more like a, a chauncey billups type of kid, hmm. you know even he's old you know what i mean but that's Damn probably as close to my game as I can find. But, you know, I look at the modern-day game and I'm watching Trey Young and even, even Kyle Lowry. Like, there's nothing fancy about Kyle Lowry. They just get the job done. You know, yeah. Kyle Lowry, he's he's not, you know, he's a guy that could have played in both errors and, and did fine. Yeah. But, you know, Trey Young, you know, to have the confidence to do some of the stuff they do, you know, the wiggle before you shoot and the <laughs> you know, make the plays and, and throw the ball behind the back and shoot the shots that he takes. You know, I'm amazed. I'm not going to lie. I'm entertained. I'm definitely entertained by today's basketball. Sam, we like to conclude our show with a game called In a Perfect World, right? Thank you for all mm-hmm. the answers you had today. But in a perfect world, I'm going to put you through a scenario, and you're simply going to fill in the blanks. All right? Okay. I'm actually very, very curious to hear what is, what is the answer going to be, to be honest with you. Also, don't mind me and Stephen on our phone during this time. We always like to put bets on this little certain uh, for a little bit of cash. So don't mind us on our phone. We're just 
answering in our group chat trying okay. to secure the okay. bag. All right. So you're done your four years at high school, right? Obviously, you can't pick LaSalle, but you got every school in the country. You're a five-star recruit. You did what you had to do. Now, other than LaSalle, kind of answered it before, but we still got a guess and secure that school. Which school would you go to? Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry, and you can't name the schools you mentioned to us. Like you can't name Notre Dame. You can't name okay. uh, St. Jude. Any school that you mentioned to us as well, you can't mention those as well. Seen Hall, Notre Dame, St. Joe's. Okay. All right, so which school would you go to in today's era that would fit your game? And you could uh, give us a ooh. Give us a hmm. Go ahead. Uh, you ready? Yeah. Wow. Uh, it got to be Temple. Oh. Okay, so you're Temple? staying home. You're staying home. Okay. Well, I, 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 would, I would say Temple in order to be my top choice because my choice was to stay home. So my top two schools would be Temple, Villanova, number one, number two. And if I had to go away from home, I would have to say UCLA. Uh, I was a, I was a North Carolina fan. Wow. So I have to say North Carolina. <laughs> and you got to understand, North Carolina back in the day was the modern day Kentucky. So back in the day, North Carolina was, you know, that was everybody's, like if they picked me, like I, I, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I went to a camp and the guy said, you know, how good do you think you are? I said, I'm real good. He said, where do you want to go to school? I said, North Carolina. Yeah. You know, because Michael Jordan went to North Carolina and he was one of my idols. And Dean Smith always had good players. And I remember him watching me play when I was in, I think, ninth or 10th grade. I got a chance to talk to him. And that was a, like, oh my God, I talked to Dean Smith. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's, you know, it was just a big thing where Calipari was a recruiter at Pitt and he recruited one of my high school teammates. I knew Cal Perry. Then he went to UMass. So I don't look at Cal yes, Perry as a, as a super, super coach. But I, I know him well enough to know that he's a great recruiter. And I respect him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Do you, have any hidden gems? Here I respect. Do you have any hidden gems into why he was such a great recruiter? Uh, just or he just got the job done? Just knew everything what to say and always always achieved at a, at the highest level. So when you know what to say to people and you have a, a great environment like Pitt and UMass and Kentucky, like those are great environments to recruit. A lot of a lot of kids look at schools as far as the facilities and the crowds and everything else. But you know, coaching and and obviously, you know, at the big schools it's not gonna matter, but coaching. And, and how much you're going to play when you first get there will determine whether or not I go to that school. Because I, what I don't want to do is wait my turn to the point where my turn has been skipped and they recruited over me. And that could happen at any level, mm-hmm. you know, at any level. Mid-level, like, you know, people are like, oh, you didn't play for LaSalle. You could have went to a better school. Well, I still played behind three pros. Because yeah. I don't feel horrible that I didn't play at LaSalle because I know I made those three pros better every single day mm-hmm. and just didn't get that same opportunity to play as, as much as they played. So they might have played 35 minutes, I played five. 
they might have played 32 minutes and I played eight. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a chance to transfer and I didn't accept that role because I got used to my environment where I regretted to stay. I probably should have transferred to Delaware or Rutgers, you know. I mean, everything was different back. Like Rutgers wasn't in the, the Big Ten. You know, Penn State wasn't in the Big Ten. You know, they were different type of schools. There's a lot was, of schools in Philadelphia. Uh, no, they, they, and they were Pennsylvania. Sorry. Yeah, they were for the basketball schools. But these are all schools within that little 100-mile radius that I was definitely interested in. Okay. So let's put you at Temple. Let's put you at okay. Temple. You're an owl, right? Okay. And uh, okay. you do your – We're in this perfect world, you know, you're you're, you're, you're a freshman all team. Um your first team on freshman, you guys get to March Madness, you make a run. We're not gonna we're not gonna give you that NCAA um championship, but you make a run. You're now a lottery pick. Right. And Steven, I'm gonna switch it up here for the sake of the game, because he likes to stay home. So we're gonna take the 76ers <laughs> out of it. Because we know what he's gonna say. Okay. You know he's gonna say 76ers, right? If it wasn't the 76ers, you know, and you're in the lottery, who would you pick to go to? Hmm. I would have to say Miami. And the reason I would say Miami was location. And then, you know, once you're a lottery pick, you kind of pick and choose what you do after your three or four years at Miami to go where you want to go. Yeah. But you don't always have an opportunity to live in one of the greatest cities in the world as far as uh, socializing and weather and you know, Miami, man. Oh, yeah. Great, great atmosphere. I'm actually going down there tomorrow. There you go. You're going down there tomorrow. <laughs> hey, you make sure you uh, make sure you don't go in none of those apartments now. You be careful. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> collapse. I, I, I took the hotel. I need a bottom floor. Man. Crazy. <laughs> that is absolute people. Man, I don't even want to dive into that. Okay. Yeah. So you're Miami. You're under Pat Riley. And you are now in this perfect world, the franchise player. You finish your rookie contract out. And this is a great scenario because Miami's great on tax. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the rules. You have the chance in this offseason to lure over two players in the offseason to Miami. They see that's your control. You're holding the four down. We need to get championships now, right? Here are the rules. Here are the rules. The first player has to be either a rookie or a sophomore. So the first or second. The third player, or the I mean the second player, has to be third and um, third and above, right? Who are those two players you're gonna pick? I'll repeat: first player is either a rookie or a sophomore. That third player is either third year or above. Give me a second to put in my notes here. Uh, this one's hard. Ready? One second. One. I second. got my locked in, but I'm waiting. We're waiting for Devante. This one's hard because I don't know and. You are you are you are the point guard, so they're complimenting your game, right? They're they're supposed to be around you. I forgot to put that in, so I'm gonna put here. That's a good one, Stephen. You know what? Just to switch it up for the sake of the game. That's a good one too, actually. For the sake of the game. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. All you. Uh. Wow. I'm definitely going to have to say Joel and D in my center. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, Joel. He can't survive without a big man. Yo. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why I'm saying Joel and D. I like to play this nice, slow style. 
and I think he'd be very good at what I like to do. Oh, so, I lose that. that that's that's my guy. And it's crazy because I was going to say Luca, but I can't because you know he likes to play with the ball all the time, and you know he might take the ball away from me. You know, so we can't oh. say Luca. Uh, wow, wow. Uh, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to say. Uh, wow, that is a tough one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to say. Uh, I'm gonna have to say Zion. Okay. Zion. Wow. Let the man speak. Let the man speak. I could find shooters anywhere and ball handlers. There's a lot of those guys. But, you know, I, I, I honestly want to say mellow ball, but he, he's another guy who likes to handle the ball. I, I can't yeah. bring another ball handler. Yeah. So if I bring the two top forwards in the game, I, I, I can live with that. Hey, you said Chauncey, so that's a guy that resembles you, so I kind of, okay. I like that. You can't go wrong. Those two in Miami, huh? This is going to be a show every night. It's going to be a there show every night. You definitely can't go wrong with that. I'm, I'm just mad that I came my answer because I would have been I would have been right on one of them. I, I put, originally I put John Embiid and then I changed up to John LeBron. I thought you would have wanted John LeBron, but, you know, obviously Devontae wins that one and shout out Devontae for, for, for winning that one. But Sal, I got, a, I, got a, I got a question for you that we asked all of our guests to conclude the show. Is who is someone that you'd like to see on Talk Your Exposure? But the kicker is, though, you have to help us get them on the show. Uh, somebody you want to get on the show? And you got to help us get them on. That I respect, that I think is good. Uh, wow. Uh, that would act. I would talk to uh, Ellis. Ooh. Ellis uh, McGraw. I think I think that's his last name. Okay. Now let me I, let me tell you let me tell you why I think you should talk to Ellis. Ellis is the workout guy for all the stars. Morris okay. Twins, Lou Will. Oh, you're talking and, about. Oh, I know exactly who you're talking. Is he Remy workouts? Something like that? He's, uh, I forgot what he calls his workouts, but uh, he's a great guy to have. He knows the game. He's a very good workout guy. He wants to learn from the best. Uh, very good guy to have on the show. Okay. Fair enough. And we hope that you'll be able to help us get him on, and, and we, we'll definitely do our research and, and homework on him. Yeah, uh, but but Sam, where can we find you on social media? What are your what are your handles? Whether it's yours or or your schools? Uh, as far as what getting in touch with me? Whether it's uh, Instagram, Twitter, you know, website, whatever it might be that that you uh, that we can find you find you on. I mean, it's always better to call me. I mean, right now uh, we got a, a guard freeze and prep, which obviously I, I can take a couple younger guys, but I'm not really trying to take any more post-grad guards, but wings and bigs we're looking for. But, you know, Facebook is always a good way because I leave my Facebook open. Uh, you can call me directly. I'm very open. I mean, I'm going to get back into the scouting realm, which I used to own, basketballfinders.com, but I forgot to pay the bill, and they took the website away. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought I paid it. 
It happened. Yeah, you know, they wanted they wanted three thousand, four thousand dollars for it. So I gotta I gotta get that back up. I'm gonna pay for that, get that back up. And I'm I'm ready to start something new, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna uh teach these guys how to really evaluate kids and how to get kids as underexposed exposure and you know, allow kids that don't play with EYBL teams and Adidas and Under Armour teams to get exposure and Obviously, during COVID, it's been very hard. But you know, you're just trying to find ways of helping kids, and and you know, you know, I'm here. You know what I mean? So you can always call me 610-416-2603. 610-416-2603. I like that. Uh, yeah, hit me Gmail. You know, RockTopAcademy at gmail.com. All one word, no hashes, no dashes, no underlines. All one word, rocktopacademy at gmail.com. Or just go on the Rocktop Academy site and apply. You there know, you go. Uh, yeah. There you go. You were the first person on our show to, to hand out their phone number. It reminds me of uh, Mike Jones back in the day when he went, uh, what was that song called? Back to the day, back then or whatever. Back to the day and walk me down. How they all, was it 3304? Something like that. Anyways, I don't know what it was, <laughs> what it, was but it reminded me of that. But Sam, we wish you, we wish, we thank you for your time, man. You know, you've obviously been, like, like I said to you a million times, you've been the godfather of AU basketball. We really feel like you've been, you've been around for a long time, coached a lot of players, you know, been through the work yourself, you know, really, you know, helped a lot of, a lot of kids get to where they got to get to, trained and mentored, you know, a lot of good NBA basketball players. As you mentioned, Kyle Lowry, Morris Twins, uh, Kobe Bryant, Richard Hamilton, just to name a few. Um, but Sam, we appreciate your time again, and we hope that you will be able to see you physically one day when this quarantine stuff is done and one day we'll be able to travel and, and connect with you in, in person. Sounds great. I wish you guys luck. This is probably one of the best uh, podcasts I actually enjoyed talking. About. Like, you know what I mean? Like y'all were entertaining. You kept my attention and you know, that's, that's, I'm not saying that's hard to do because I don't have no ADD in that. But, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you guys did a good job with your games. You made me think. And you, you put me in a good spot to make me think about stuff, even moving forward. But uh, I really respect you guys, and I thought you did a great job. And I appreciate you guys having me on, man. Just anytime you need me to get in touch, if you need some guests, just got my number, man, 610-416-2606. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, we appreciate that, Coach. And like I said, we're hopefully we're looking forward to connecting with you soon, man.